0: I think you're exactly right. I I bet there is a fear that it may be very time-consuming. You don't want to overcommit. You have a lot of other responsibilities, including your own patient load. You know, I can't be distracted in the clinic if you're calling me and I'm in the middle of my day-to-day. So I do think some physicians just think, I just don't want to bother with that. I, I have enough on my own to deal with.
1: What are some of the most important things for a nurse practitioner to consider when starting their own practice, including finding willing and interested collaborating physicians, let's talk all about it with Dr. Annie De Pasquale, MD of CollaboratingDocs.com, right here in Episode 453 of the Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your personal and professional development, your career and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education ideas, diatribes and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine entrepreneurship and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. If you'd like to help other people find the show, there are several things you can do. These are my ubiquitous requests. You can leave a rating and review. Apple Podcast is a great place to do that, as well as Google or Amazon or Spotify, or just share the show or any specific episode with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And the show notes are always in the app where you're listening, or you can find them under the podcast drop down menu at nursekeith.com. And if you want to become a patron and give even $2 a month to help keep the lights on here at the Nurse Keith Show, you can go to Patreon, P A T R E O N.com forward slash nurse Keith. And I appreciate you all so much. And thanks for being here. And like I said, we're here with Dr. Annie De Pasquale of collaboratingdocs.com. And Annie, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to nurse practitioners in the 21st century. And there's a lot of growth and a lot of movement and a lot of there's just a lot of energy around the whole nurse practitioner profession and industry right now. So what are some of the first things a nurse practitioner, especially a new one who is kind of like coming into their own when they want to start their own practice? What are like a couple key pieces of awareness that they should be carrying with them?
0: I Fully agree with what you just shared. Sort of introing this question, it is it is a it's a wonderful time for nurse practitioners in general, but especially those that have an interest in being an entrepreneur. There, so many doors are opened. I think it's largely related to the sort of healthcare crisis we would all agree we're in. You know, there's a real access to care problem, and I firmly believe nurse practitioners are a big part of solving that problem. Which lends itself to starting private practices, you know, own individual, solo practitioner practices as nurse practitioners. the 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 world's your oyster. There there's so much opportunity. I think, especially in more rural areas, um, and and even in urban and suburban settings. There's just such high demand for quality healthcare that if you are ready, willing, and able to provide it, you will have much success. Um, if you were a nurse practitioner starting out, uh, I do think it's tricky in school, in training. Business sense is not, you know, usually on the table. We don't get a lot of classes on how to actually start a practice, a medical business. So. I'm a firm believer in education, educating yourself on the different avenues out there to sort of fill, fill that gap, that missing knowledge gap. So it might be reading books, pod, listening to podcasts, um, different uh, message groups on Facebook. There are quite a lot for nurse practitioner entrepreneurs and learn from others. Um, another Second thing I often recommend to people starting out is find a mentor, someone a few steps ahead of you. So maybe a nurse practitioner who started a practice like the one you're hoping to have and talk to them and take them to lunch or dinner, coffee, or meet them at their office and bring bagels for their clinic staff. They'll be very happy to spend a little time and hopefully you can cultivate a more long-term relationship learning from them. I think everyone in healthcare, we were very used to the see one, do one, teach one mentality. So I think if you can find someone who's done it, they're probably very willing to share, you know, some of their knowledge um, to help you get off the ground. Um, so yes, I guess, you know, both of those ideas are very education and learning focused, but I, I do think before taking on a huge endeavor like starting a medical practice, that that is a critical step that some people actually skip. They think, "Oh, let me just do this without much thought, without a business plan, without really understanding budgeting and what's all going to go into it." So, sort of pause yourself. Every entrepreneur wants it done yesterday. Don't don't fall for that trap. You know, take some time to really up with a plan so uh-huh. you are informed and in going about it the right way.
1: That sounds really smart. And something you said right at the beginning of what you just described was that nurse practitioners don't really get any training or grounding in business practices and, you know, nurses don't in general. And, you know, even to some members of the public, if you mentioned the term nurse entrepreneur, they look at you like you have five heads because it doesn't make it doesn't really um, it doesn't equate in their mind, right? However, a physician, lots of physicians have independent practices. And just a quick question, sort of just to clarify something: do do medical schools teach anything around business budgeting, um, launching a practice like independent physician-run practice?
0: Not at all no. not at all, in my experience, I went to Virginia Commonwealth University and for medical school and even in residency, despite many family medicine residents like myself do start their own private practice. Mm-hmm. it is not mentioned not in any training course, any class it's not really available, which I is such a shame, I do hope. <laughs> medical and healthcare curriculum in general can kind of get with the times, but no. So there's a big gap really. everyone.
1: Why is that? I mean, I mean, since time immemorial, doctors have had independent practices like either a solo office or, you know, a lot of group practices and, you know, many of them are physician run. Some have been corporatized and purchased by larger entities, but there are Physician-run practices of many kinds, um, and there are many nurse practitioner-run practices, and NPs and MDs who work together. So it's it's puzzling to me, and we could have a whole conversation about why NP school, DNP school, um, MD training has no, you know, they don't even touch upon it, and that could be an entire conversation about why that is and the deficits we're creating in our society because of that but that's we'll put that aside for the moment because I could unpack that for hours but when an np wants to start a practice is it your experience or actually what is your experience do they tend to be nps who are very seasoned do they tend to be relatively new you know where are most of the people in their careers when They're starting to think about, oh, I could hang a shingle.
0: We do see the majority are more seasoned nurse practitioners who have worked elsewhere for others in clinics that were already being managed by others or in the hospital. However, I I will say a little caveat there seems to be a, a growing population of recent graduates. They do it right out of school with wow. zero job in between. So wow. I think it's, exci- it's super exciting. And I think I really feel like that will just keep growing. Even just the economics of it, the I know there are a lot of nurse practitioners, schools and training programs, and they're not a ton of jobs upon graduation. So it is influencing people to, kind of dig deep and make it work by creating their own job and their own, which I think is amazing because oftentimes people are much more satisfied when it is their own path and their own uh, establishment than working for someone else. So I'm glad that younger graduate or newer graduates are kind of embracing it. It's, it's not only for the experienced.
1: Yeah. And interestingly, if you go on the Bureau of Labor Statistics website and you look up nurse practitioners, nurse midwives, and nurse anesthetists, and you look at the projected job growth, um, it's not as robust as it was a couple of years ago, but I'm looking at it right now on the BLS website, and it's it's actually quite significant. It's at 38% in terms of job growth for the next, well, we're in 2020 three. So for the next nine years, whereas the job growth for MDs is in the single, the low single digits and the job growth for registered nurses, which used to be 14, 15, even 20% is now in the single digits as well, which makes no sense when it comes to a nursing shortage, but that's also another podcast episode. So there are jobs, but I do see and hear from a lot of NPs that if you want to be an NP in the Bay Area or New York or Atlanta or Boston, that's where you're going to be up against it because everybody and their sister wants to move to these exciting metropolitan areas and we can understand why. So if a, if a seasoned nurse practitioner decides, okay, I've worked for nine years, I'm ready to jettison out of the hospital or another type of setting and I want to start a practice, what are some of the very, very first steps they should take? Like rudimentary, like out of the gate.
0: Out of the gate, other than being very well informed, um, I would say establishing the business entity. Really needs to be probably step number one. So there are methods online, um, lawyer sort of consulting firms that can help do it at a very economical price. You don't need to pay top dollar to get that done. Even things like LegalZoom mm-hmm. can help you establish your entity. And then I would say the next big question would probably be the financing of it. I would Also, venture to say most nurse practitioners are self-funded, but I applaud those that do get money, loans, uh, friends, family, investors, venture capital money. Mm -hmm. There is money out there. It's sort of um, a complex thing to navigate if you're not familiar with investments and um, getting talking to people to give you money. But it it is a it it is. We all love that idea but yes um I think it's worth at least uh, educating yourself on options maybe even just going to a, your local bank and talking to them about business loans and those sort of um things that are at your disposal just in your local community mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to but it is good to know the options out there cuz they there will be very upfront costs to doing this and then of course the recurring um monthly cost of things to keep it going, but the upfront cost is like yeah. the concern getting going.
1: So you're, so you're forming like a LLC, a limited liability corporation, whether it's like you can form an S corp or J corp and all those different things that I have so little understanding of, but there are people out there who can help you do that. And then you need a bank account and, you know, you have to get, you know, you might need a license with your city, or there's all sorts of things you have to do, and then there's liability, right? You have to have extremely good liability insurance, um, and of course, there are more and more states where a nurse practitioner can practice autonomously. So that is increasing. We're somewhere around half the states, or something—I I can't remember the number—but in the states where, um. You can't practice autonomously, and you need what they sometimes refer to as a collaborating doctor, a collaborating physician. This is something that is one of your areas of specialty, and we'll, we'll. I want to dive into this a little now, and then more in the second half of the show. But the collaborating doc um, relationship is really important, and how does one? Go about finding a doctor who's willing to, you know, be your collaborator, and I guess you're you're working under their license. Like, how does how does all of that, the mechanism of that work?
0: Yes, it it's true, and about it is about half of the U.S. This is a legal requirement that still nurse practitioners need a physician as their collaborator. Um, how to go about it? It's always great. I tell people this all the time. If you have friend, family, neighbor, former colleague, professor, you know, any just sort of brainstorm all the physicians that you've ever crossed paths with, is wonderful to work with someone you know if if they share your scope of practice and your state licensure and you get along, you know, that that's a great fit. But it's it's hard. Not everyone has a long list of people they could ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of physicians are a bit skittish about do uh, participating and helping with collaboration. Um, I think is a, a shame, but mm-hmm. it, it's a pretty well known phenomenon that physicians are very speaking generally, you know, risk averse and a lot feel like it's risky. I obviously do not feel that way myself as a physician, but there's a lot of I'd say misunderstandings in the health medical world that uh, there's going to be tons of liability helping a nurse practitioner. And it's it's really pretty much completely false, but there is that mm-hmm. impression out there.
1: So but don't they carry some liability? Like if they're signing off or they're collaborating, can they be, they can probably be named in a lawsuit, right?
0: They can be co-named. Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. So th- there is some risk.
1: There's some risk.
0: Involved. Yeah they don't have to be co-named and and very frequently they're not.
1: Hmm.
0: It's sort of hard to pin the blame if you're remotely advising, you're not in the clinic, you didn't see that exact patient. It's pretty hard to push the liability too hard, but absolutely could be involved.
1: Okay. So that's part of the skittishness probably. Is another part just the perception of how much effort and work it might take to, to be, you know, met, or you're mentoring and you're, you're advising, right? So can that take up a lot of time and energy or is that the fear that it's going to?
0: I think you're exactly right. I, I bet there is a fear that it may be very time consuming. hmm Don't want to overcommit. You have a lot of other responsibilities, including your own patient load. You know, I can't be distracted in the clinic if you're calling me and I'm in the middle of my day to day. Hmm. So I do think some physicians just think, I just don't want to bother with that. I I have enough on my own to deal with. So, yes.
1: Right. So that's an issue too. Um, So, in the second half, part of what I want to talk about is you know, what that relationship is like, how one goes about finding a good fit. Because it's not just finding any old doctor or young doctor who's going to sign off on your stuff. I mean, it's got to be someone who you have some rapport with. And if you don't have anyone personally in your network, how do you identify that person? And how do you make sure that you're on the same page? Because you don't want to be working with someone Where there's some you have some diametrically opposed views because that might be a little um, problematic and i also want to talk about just your own experience of working with nps and collaborating with nps and then we'll talk about your business collaborating docs because that i think is a service that nurse practitioners who want to start a business and who need a collaborating physician want to know about so we're going to come back for the second half to talk about all that and more right here on episode 453 of the nurse keith show with dr annie de pasquale of collaboratingdocs.com Welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Dr. Annie De Pasquale of collaboratingdocs.com. And Annie, right before the break, we were talking about finding a collaborating doc. But first, I want to ask you about your own personal and professional experience. So have you worked with a lot of nurse practitioners in the course of your career as a doctor?
0: I absolutely have. I out of residency, worked at a underserved clinic in Washington, DC for many years. My first boss was a nurse practitioner who was the medical director of our clinic, Lisa Covell. And then I sat next to Teresa Aquaviva, a very veteran nurse practitioner in the clinic. So to this day, I'm very close with Teresa and Lisa. They, I swear they taught me Real medicine, like mm. when the rubber hits the road, you learn a lot in med school and residency, but then you're there in the room with your patient, and there's a big problem or they have no money for medication. and how do you resolve this problem? They always came to my rescue. I mean, I talked to them. I consulted them, I would say, many times a day for years and years. So um I, I'm very indebted to nurse practitioners mm. from That's- that experience. That's
1: really lovely. And I think from my own perspective and experience, there's a lot of humility in a physician claiming something like that, because, you know, there's a, there's, there's a hierarchy of power. There's a power differential on certain, on a certain level in our culture, right. And in, in the healthcare world in general, in the ecosystem, let's say. So I think there's a lot of humility in a doctor, you know, saying I've learned a lot from nurse practitioners. And I think I think that's lovely. That shows a real collaborative spirit. And you know, I have perceived out there in the interwebs, you know, there's some animosity towards nurse practitioners on the part of some physicians and some physician organizations. And you know, I I understand there's there's turf and there's, you know, questions about, you know, how, how efficient and accurate and complete the education of nurse practitioners is. So I hear some of those concerns, you know, but from your perspective, what do you see as the, the strengths of nurse practitioners? You said you've learned a lot from them. So what do they bring to the table that you feel like augments what one might learn in medical school?
0: Number one would absolutely be empathy. Hmm. I think from having nursing background and before becoming a nurse practitioner, you know, helping patients at the bedside, helping discharge patients go over the materials, the the plan of action upon discharge, like all the things that's so commonplace due to repetition in a a nurse's world, a nurse's life um, day to day. I think it spills over so beautifully when you're a nurse practitioner, you don't forget where you came from and you're, you're really kind to patients. I mean, these are generalizations but I do sure. feel feeling like nurse practitioners are much more um, engaging emotionally empathetic with patients than physicians who often give people sort of the short end of the stick or brush them mm. off. Again, a generalization, not all doctors are bad like that, but um. I also think just the mentality of being a teacher and an educator of patients comes a lot more naturally to nurse practitioners than physicians. I think, you know, the hierarchy you're just talking about, physicians, you know, do as I say and don't ask questions and this is what you need, you know, kind of paternalistic. It's changing, you know, as time goes on, but there's still a lot of that out there. So. Those are the beautiful things I learned, you know, from working with Lisa um, and Teresa, just how to be very kind and nice and caring and give my patients what they needed
1: mm-hmm.
0: at the level they needed it. That That is really, I'd say, sort of the biggest lessons, but but also the medical things that I needed help with. Like, uh-oh, yeah. they're on four blood pressure meds. What do I do now?
1: Right.
0: Oh, I lot of this. So they were also very smart, like by the book.
1: Yeah. So there's clinical astuteness, but then there's also emotional intelligence and relational intelligence. And that does come more naturally. And it does come up in nurse training. I think it sounds like much more than it would in medical training in general. And, you know, so you've worked with a lot of NPs, you've seen their struggles you've you've seen their strengths you've benefited from their strengths and you've collaborated what's it been like for you when you've been a collaborating doc like when you've been signing off on or you know however you're involved in a nurse practitioner's um, you know in a private practice what's that like for you as a doctor
0: i think it's fascinating yeah? it sort of gives you a into someone else's world You know, you get to learn about what type of patients do you see and what kind of conditions, what is the business model? You know, how do you run your schedule? I I honestly sometimes feel like I learn more from the people I'm helping than I'm helping them. I I just am very inquisitive person and I like to learn things. So I'm always sort of rattling off things to find out more about what they're up to. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's true because they also bring their most challenging cases and patient situations they want to talk about. So you're kind of getting the cream of the crop like the most fascinating thing that passed their way in the last week or month um is what you're talking about. so it's it's usually very enlightening and gets the brain <laughs> gets the brain working, turning,
1: yeah, interesting. and so you've seen how nps struggle when it comes to finding collaborating doctors and where you live do nps need one legally
0: in virginia yes, yes for so they the do, first 5 years
1: of for that. the first 5 years so so that's you know that's significant and important because we need nurse practitioners out there to fill in the gaps, especially in primary care i think and in rural areas you know all sorts of underserved areas So you decided to form a business as a doctor, helping nurse practitioners find collaborating doctors. What was the impetus to start the service? You know, what did you, was it one nurse practitioner whose experience you saw, or was it a pattern that you observed? Like, how did the the light bulb go off for you?
0: It sort of fell in my lap. I'll be honest. I was helping 10 to 12 nurse practitioners across the country because I actually do have several licensees in other states as well. So I have something in Virginia, but also a few other states that I did telemedicine. I had the license to help. So I had a pretty nice group of nurse practitioners. I was helping on the side of my practice. And it was a particular summer of 2020. Oh, a gosh. lot of people were reaching out to me, right, right, when COVID hit. Um, you know, what a time. But my email, I can't make this up. Every day, someone, a new nurse practitioner was reaching out to me over email or Facebook or LinkedIn or my phone. I finally said, what is going on? I was, what is happening? Oh, your name was on a message board. and." Hmm. The floodgate, I didn't put it there, but somehow it was there, and the floodgates opened. It just it what it woke me up like, why? why is everyone coming to me? Uh-huh. because it's hard a nice, normal doctor who will be supportive. That was the the story I heard again and again and again. so
1: interesting. so so that's that's what you saw and and the specific, Issue was finding a collaborating doc. I'm sure there are like business questions and, you know, all sorts of things. And there are other, you know, people who can go to SCORE, they can go to the Chamber of Commerce, they can go to the Small Business Administration, you know, if they need help creating a business plan. But the Small Business Administration is not going to help you find a collaborating doctor. And I'm sure you've probably seen situations where collaborating docs sort of, not your company, but a collaborating doctor failed a nurse practitioner they're working with. And I'm sure there's probably plenty of stories of what that might look like. So my understanding is that you've helped over 2,500 NPs match with a physician. Um, and that's in not just Virginia, right? That's in a number of states where you happen to be licensed.
0: That's across really the whole country, oh. primarily the half of the States that need this legally.
1: So how do you, okay. How do you find the doctors who are willing to be the ones for you to match with an NP? Like where does, where does that list come from? Do you go through, do you go on the internet and like troll for doctors?
0: (laughs) Um, if we, we have, I will not lie. We have done that a few times when we've had very unusual requests. Okay, Uh, Like, a very rural town in Tennessee because Tennessee used to require monthly onsite visits. So we really needed a physician nearby so that we'd go trolling for that situation. But luckily uh, over the last three years of having the company, we've really built up our physician um, database. You know, we have a good, great, I should say, stable of doctors who We're now attracting the right people who like to teach, like to mentor, love nurse practitioners. Everyone kind of has their story. Like mine, right? My first boss is an NP. We have doctors who are married to NPs. We have doctors whose daughters are NPs. You know, everyone kind of has like their connection to make them really want to help and do this typically. So uh, we very closely vet them. They cannot be in it for the wrong reasons. Like I just want to make a buck or something. You know, we, we make sure they really have the right intention. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have pretty high standards. That was important to me starting out that collaboration, it can get a pretty bad rap out there, you know, oh, they're just running their license or I just need a piece of paper signed. I don't, you know, this is all a joke and you're charging me for this. So I said, let's make it, it it should be a valuable service, not, not a joke. So your physician, the physicians we use have to agree to be available during normal business hours to take a call, a text, an email, and really get back with a clinical question. They have to meet every month over a video chat, no matter what, even if everything is fine, there's no major problems to build that long lasting relationship. They need to talk face to face. We require reviewing ten percent of charts, even though some states don't specify an amount. They may just say do a sampling. It needs to be ten percent, not to be punitive. It's it's to be helpful. Like I see you have a lot of patients with diabetes. You know, have you seen this new medication? da the new algorithm. Um, and then any state requirement can get a little tricky. Every state likes to change what they want for collaborating often. So we have a legal team that keeps a close eye on those specifics. Stay on
1: top of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, doctors obviously shouldn't be expected to do this for free, and I'm sure they don't. What can an NP expect? What's the range of cost per year or month or week for having a collaborating doctor available to the extent that, that you make them available?
0: Through, through collaborating docs, um, we really individualize and personalize what the fee will be. So every new client speaks with one of our onboarding team members who's actually a nurse practitioner. Hmm. We employ seven full-time nurse practitioners right now, and we're growing. Wow. Um, so that's nice. So you'll be talking to someone who really gets it and understands what you're trying to do to give the quote. Um I can give a, you know, as of today's date, if you're doing a basic sort of telemedicine practice, it's usually around $600 a month. Mm -hmm. And then if it's more brick and mortar in-person patient care, it bumps it to about $750 a month. Um, So we're really trying to make it affordable, attainable for any person starting out. Um, the majority of that money goes to the physician, obviously, um, for their time and helping. Yeah. So,
1: And some okay. goes to your business because that's part of how you fund what you do. And you have to run your business as well.
0: Right. Yeah. We do have overhead.
1: And you are employing seven nurse practitioners to work with your and onboard your clients. So it's not, you know, it's not just you sitting in your living room making some phone calls. There's, this is it's pretty complicated and you have a legal team. So there's... There's a lot involved in this. And like you said, each state can be, there can be shifting sands in each state as the nurse practice act gets rewritten and you know, legislative session comes up and you know something changes, you have to stay on top of that. So in in states where nurse practitioners have full autonomy, does anyone still come to you because they still want a doctor in their corner? You know, because they don't have to have one legally, but do some feel more comfortable? Like I need a doctor who I can call if something comes up. Does that happen?
0: Absolutely. We mm-hmm. we do have clients in independent, fully independent states because they just want that sounding board and just know I can count on this physician to pick up the phone when I call and answer my questions I say bravo to that person. I mean, I to this day, when I see patients, you know, I have questions and I need someone to turn to. I think medicine is so collaborative and if you're on an island alone in your little clinic by yourself, it, it would it would terrify me as a physician i so I think it's great to have that option if if you are looking for it
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Do you ever see nurse practitioners who have a practice where the collaborating doc actually comes and spends time seeing patients in the clinic as well. And then that's probably a different type of, um, they have to have a different type of financial relationship because they're actually like seeing patients and not just advising over the phone or something.
0: Exactly. I I know people out there do have that model. It's, it's pretty rare just Mm -hmm. because most physicians sort of have their own thing going already, but it definitely exists out there. It, it doesn't fit as well with our model, which is we try not to don't get involved in like co-ownership or splitting of proceeds or revenue or anything. So our company, not so much, but I'm, I know out in the real world that does exist. Yeah,
1: it happens. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I think collaborative relationships are great and There's probably nurse practitioners and MDs who just partner and start a business together. And then that's just their arrangement. And that's awesome. I mean, I think that's great. And, you know, whether, you know, there's, of course, NPs and MDs work together in more corporatized settings, clinics owned by health systems, things like that. But we're talking more independent practices. Um, In terms of the types of practices out there that you're seeing in your clients, or also just in general, what do you feel like are the ones that have the strongest, I don't wanna, um, we could say market share or ability to be profitable and successful? Are there particular ones you're seeing that are strong right now And let's just say 2023?
0: Absolutely. Uh-huh. I, and I think the the common denominator of all of them is that they are cash based and have recurring revenue. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's a perfect combination for any business that wants to be successful. Make sure you get paid and make okay. sure you keep getting paid. So the, the obvious examples are medical aesthetics. So, you know, doing Botox or fillers, people have to pay cash. They can't use their insurance, they have to keep getting it every three, four months. Um, also in that category. Some IV hydration practices yeah. or mobile clinics. People love it. They're going to keep getting it when they need it. And um, I would add telemedicine-based practices because some people will be wa- willing to pay cash for the convenience. If you can see me with my child that has a fever, you know, tonight after work, you know, I'll pay and not worry about my insurance, perhaps because that's just super convenient. Um, And telepsych would be the last one I would mention, you know, if a lot of PMHNPs are taking the world by storm with um, their psychiatric practices, and it's so, so needed, you know, more than probably any other medical condition out there, great mental health care is needed right now. So I say bravo to them for, you know, getting that extra credential and Starting a practice, it, obviously they could take insurance. Some do, and some just take cash because mm-hmm. they can. The market will meet that. So those are our most successful clients, you know, and they have longevity with their physician and their business in general. So, uh, but we take all comers, even if yeah. if they take insurance and or sure. do private care. Yeah,
1: and concierge medicine is getting bigger, where you have clientele who pay. monthly, um, I guess you call it a retainer, and then they have a certain amount of access to you at any given time, which I think it's getting very popular. It's funny, back about, gosh, eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago, on my original podcast, RNFM Radio, we interviewed a nurse practitioner in Bellingham, Washington, who did house calls by bicycle. and She had a little bicycle trailer and she had all her lab equipment and dry ice and a cooler and pretty much everything she needed to do basic primary care including um blood draws and um she didn't carry vaccines but um otherwise she had a, a complete mobile clinic and she biked around Bellingham Washington seeing patients in their homes which i thought was cool and she was in great shape because she biked all the time so there are a lot of you know um Innovative, there's a lot of innovative potential for nurse practitioners. And you know, you have a lot of experience. You you went to Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. Interestingly, you went to Carnegie Mellon and studied piano and French. So that was an interesting place to begin in your undergrad.
0: Yes. I was a hopeless, you know, musician hoping to. <laughs> you know what? What was I hoping? I don't know <laughs> to have a stable job, but not not realistic. I, I love piano more than anything, but it, it is hard to pay the bills playing piano unless you're Billy Joel, perhaps.
1: <laughs> I understand. I I went to art school straight out of high school and you know dropped out. But my mom was a Juilliard trained um, concert pianist, and she she taught and played in nightclubs and things my whole life, and never had a job like her. She always just like Did her own thing, which is not easy, but she she did it. You know, it was pretty amazing. And for Collaborating Docs, people can go to CollaboratingDocs.com, and you're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and you're on LinkedIn, and we'll have all that in the show notes. So I I really encourage anyone, even if you're a nurse who's thinking about even just going to NP school and you want to connect with collaborating docs and Dr. Annie and just get a sense of what it would be like if three years into your practice, you decided to hang a shingle. Or if you're one of those really courageous NPs who wants to launch a practice right out of school, which to me sounds really scary, um, you could do it. Or if you're a seasoned NP and this is on your radar, or you know a seasoned NP who's in the midst of planning something like this, collaborating docs is a great place to go. So all those links are in the show notes. But Annie, before we go, I have four quick questions I ask all of my guests. And they're not, they don't really have anything to do with what we were just talking about. Um, <laughs> okay. So are you willing to play along and just um entertain my questions?
0: I absolutely will.
1: Yeah, you'll indulge yes. me. That's nice. Hope I don't you. fail the
0: test.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's it's not pass fail. It's just pass pass. So yeah, okay. Yeah. My okay.
0: Favorite kind of test yeah. So the first <laughs> questions,
1: it's it's just an insight into how you look at your life, and the question is how you define success. What do you? How would you couch the 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 notion or concept of success for yourself?
0: I think the, the former teacher now position in me would say the helping people, like, Mm -hmm. like really making an impact on others and your Mm -hmm. community around you. I I did teach at an elementary school before med school and, Mm. you know, helping your students achieve what they need to achieve and now patients. Um, So I would say that.
1: So watching the, the, the reverberations of. Passing of knowledge or wisdom or whatever to another person. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. Second question is Is there someone you could name, or if you don't want to name them, you could just describe them who has inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living or dead. It can be a famous person who's like a mentor or someone you look up to, or it could be someone completely who none of us would ever have heard of, but who is special to you. Family, friend, anyone at all who sticks out in your heart in your mind—it's
0: hard to pick one person. Um, you know, I luckily have had many people I've looked up to, um, tried to aspire to be like. I, I will, I will name my late father who passed away hmm. from pancreatic cancer, who hmm. came from very humble beginnings in a teeny tiny one bedroom above his family's grocery store in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, His family owned that, you know, that was, that was his father and mother's whole life, right? They didn't hire anyone else. They, one of them had to be there at all times running this tiny little grocery. Um, But my dad, you know, grew up also helping at the grocery store from childhood upward. Um, But, you know, Took his schooling very seriously and was the first to go to college. And he ended up being a businessman himself. Um, But it's always in my mind that you know he really didn't have a lot of examples in his own world of you know how to make this happen. But he he surely made the most of it. So you know I I wish he could see what I was doing now. I hadn't even started the company when he had passed um, Mm. sadly, but i know he'd be happy i hopefully i'm following in his footsteps of building something that helps others out there so i bet,
1: bet he would be what's what was his name jim jim
0: jim, jim Savaries.
1: oh that's sweet it. okay thank you that's really nice okay penultimate question is there a book or even a movie it doesn't have to be an absolute favorite just something that holds meaning for you that's you know, had an impact on the way you live your life, the way you conduct your relationships, um, the way you approach your your work, anything like that. Just something close to your heart that is meaningful to you.
0: Yes. I really fell in love with a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. Hmm. Um, I read it Right around the time all these nurse practitioners were contacting me. It's definitely more of a a business mindset book. Um, but I wasn't a business person yet at the time, but I was reading this book, and it was it was so interesting. just it sort of helps organize um, your dreams and hopes and plans and and get everything moving in a a good direction. Um so, You know, any aspiring entrepreneur out there, I do recommend Traction. Um, Just it's a quick read, but it 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 has some powerful ideas of how to how to get a business sort of off the ground.
1: Yeah, it's it's um Traction. Get a grip on your business by Gino Wickman. Yeah, yes, that's great. Yeah, it's on Amazon. I just looked it up. So great. Okay, we have a lot of people on this you know, in the audience who are entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. So that's, that's great. I appreciate having another business book in the, in the library, so to speak. Okay. Last question. If you, Dr. Annie de Pasquale, if you were named queen of the world tomorrow, what would your first act be? in order to improve the lives of your subjects, knowing that as queen of the world, you have ultimate power. So you could eventually do everything you wanted to do. But if you wanted to like make a splash as queen, what would be your first action?
0: Oh, wow. that That's a big responsibility um, and exciting and all in the same. I feel slightly like a broken record because I've talked a lot about education and teaching and mentorship, but I, I would, that. It's, you know, at the heart of who I am, I I would cast a spell and everyone in the world would have access to incredible teachers and mentors and coaches. And um, that would just lift everyone up um, to higher places. I think education is the root of everything. So that, that would be my wish.
1: <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. That's a great place to start because when someone has a mentor and they're, they are the receivers of education and wisdom and, you know, learned wisdom and institutional memory, you know, there's, you can lift people out of poverty, you can give people opportunity. I mean, so much can happen when someone has that kind of support. And you and I know that there's a lot of people in the world who don't get that and never get that. So I, that's lovely. I really like that. So thanks for playing along with the four questions. You you passed with absolute flying colors. So you can you get four gold stars. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, they can go to collaboratingdocs.com and can they contact you through the website?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, they can even book a call with one of the NPs that help with our onboarding team. And, oh, cool. And just have a chat. There's no, you know, a commitment to just having a call and talking oh, about they like talking about business ideas they might even be able to give a few golden nuggets to help you on your way
1: great so. okay and on instagram you're at collaborating docs and on facebook you're collaborating docs fb on Facebook and then Twitter, your collab underscore docs, and then collaborating docs on LinkedIn. So those links will all be in the show notes. I'm sure they're all at the website at collaboratingdocs.com. And Annie, thank you so much for being here. This has been lovely. I think supporting nurse practitioners at this time in history is really important. And I think helping them get off on the right foot and find a doctor who is really on board with them to help them, you know have a thriving practice and do it right and have somebody to lean on and, you know, you're vetting all these doctors. I mean, that takes a lot of the mystery and stress out of it. So thanks for being, uh, you know, a advocate for nurse practitioners. I think it's a great service to society.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a fun conversation and I, what you're doing is very inspiring as well. Um, we will be featuring you on our on our website because I, I hope a lot of nurse practitioners become subscribers and followers if they aren't already. Um, they have a lot. They could learn so much from what you're doing. So thank you, Keith.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com. And please head over to collaboratingdocs.com. Check them out on social media, like their pages, and let them know that you heard Annie here on The Nurse Keith Show. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And if you need personalized, holistic career coaching in the interest of your nursing and healthcare career, check out nursekeith.com and Nurse Keith Coaching. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. If you want to become a patron at P A T com forward slash nurse keith i'd greatly appreciate it we're proud members of the health podcast network at healthpodcastnetwork.com and we are adroitly produced by the inimitable rob johnston of 520r podcasting and i'll leave you with this quote by amelia Earhart: the most difficult thing is the decision to act the rest is merely tenacity be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my new friend and colleague, Dr. Annie De Pasquale, saying arrivederci from
0: Arlington, Virginia.
1: Thank you, Annie. Thanks to everyone for listening and we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side.